Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hi, Sebastian. Lovely to meet you. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Hi, everyone. Well, now, most of our listeners will recognize that name, but just for the one or two who might not, we've got a lot of new fans to Formula One in the past couple of years. Give us a quick overview on, on who you are. Yes, yeah, so I'm Sebastian Bohemi. I'm a Swiss racing driver. I'm 33 years old, and I've been competing in Formula from 2009 to 2011. Then I've been competing in the World Endurance Championship with Toyota since 2012, until, until now, still competing. And uh, yeah, I've joined Formula E in 2014, winning the championship in 2016. And uh, yeah, since season nine, so this season now, I'm going to be competing for Envision Racing in, in Formula E. Well, we are very much looking forward to chatting about all of that. But before we go on, though, we are, of course, Everything F1. You can find us on all socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at JoinEF1. You can check out our website, everythingf1.com, for daily news and articles from the world of motorsport. If you are listening, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast streaming service to get all of our latest podcast episodes as soon as they drop. We will have everything from race reviews and previews to, as you're about to hear, incredible interviews with very special guests from the world of motors. So then, let us get back to our guest, Sebastian. So going back to the, I suppose, the very, very beginning, how did you get into motorsport? Was there someone who inspired you or is this all your own thing? Tell us where it all began for you. Yeah, so my, my parents have a, a dealership in Switzerland, so somehow I, I grew up, you know, close to cars. My grandfather did 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1960. He did some hill climb races in, in Switzerland. So, yeah, basically when I was five years old, I, I got a go-kart for Christmas. And then obviously, I think the following day, I was driving it around the dealership and then started to do some some races, obviously, when I was seven or eight years old. And then, and then obviously became European champion in go-kart in 2002. And then I moved to a Formula BMW, got the backing from, from Red Bull back in 2004. And then obviously did all, most of the categories, Formula 3, GP2, Formula 1. So yeah, I was basically very passionate very quickly. I remember watching all the F1 races when I was five or six years old. And, and yeah, I love the sport. I loved every minute of driving the go-karts. So somehow I love the speed. And since then, you know, I've been passionate about racing. Very good. Emma? I just want to say that sounds very similar to a Jensen Button story because his dad had a dealership and he also got a go-kart for his birthday. So that's very similar to that. How did you sort of find the transition from going from go-karts to cars? Was it difficult? Yes and no. It's, it's, it is it's it is different. I, I did lots of go-karts, to be honest. So you kind of get used to something that is quite a lot different. As you can imagine, a lot lighter. It, it reacts quicker to, to the change of direction. And uh, in a car, it's it's different. You have 
the downforce, so the faster you go, the more load you have, you have more potential, and it's it's a much bigger circuit. It's it's a bigger car. You, you can't move it like you do with a go-kart. And when I was 14 years old, I had done already nearly, I don't know, when I moved to cars, I had done nearly 10 years of go-kart. So it was it was different, but somehow, let's say the, the basic stuff remained the same and how to improve and get better. That That is basically the same as in go-kart. So I was well prepared. I have the feeling when I moved to, to single-seaters, I had lots of experience. And, you know, I think today it's really important, obviously, to do go-kart because you learn the basic stuff. Yeah, that sounds good. Also, how did you sort of get onto Red Bull's radar? Because besides from Sergio Perez, you're one of very few that weren't in their junior program. Yeah, so basically in 2004, I competed in Formula BMW and that was... Um, that was basically a Red Bull Junior back in, in those days. And I was the youngest. And I think that in my second race, I got pole position in front of Vettel for 1,000 of a second. And obviously, Helmut Marko back, back then was there, obviously looking after the, the Red Bull Juniors. And I was the youngest. And yeah, basically through my team that he, he knew well, because they were looking after a different driver, he, he contacted me. And I think... I remember quite well at the Nürburgring Formula One race of 2004. Yeah, I signed my my Red Bull contract. So I knew from there on if I would be fast enough, I'd have a good future. Mm. Well, good good future is, is has clearly it's gone it's gone that way. Clearly, you obviously you raced in Toro Rosso for for a few years, but you're still in the Red Bull family now. You've been a reserve driver for for several years. So in that role, do you get time in the F1 car from time to time, or is it primarily just simulator work? Obviously, the the regulation have changed a huge amount. We used to test I don't know fifty days a year, and now it's maybe down to three or four preseason testing, and then a couple of Pirelli tests throughout the year. So it's clear that for a reserve driver, it's a lot less to do, but mm-hmm. the simulators have increased a huge amount. So in general, I'm doing a day or two during the Pirelli test day. So it's basically days that you drive your car, but you follow the guidelines of Pirelli because Pirelli is trying to introduce new new compounds for, for the following years. So I've done a, a lot of those days in the past. And obviously you drive with the current car, which is kind of nice. And it's good for correlation with the simulator to make sure the, the simulator behaves in a very similar way to the real car. And then, of course, I'm just doing lots of days in the simulator. And how, how do, I suppose, the modern cars compare to the ones that you were racing full-time in, the 2009 to 2011 cars? What, what are the modern ones like by comparison? Okay, so the, the, the brand new cars, the 2022 cars, I've just driven them in the simulator, not yet in in, in, in reality. So it's, it's a bit hard for me to comment. But basically compared to 2009, 2008, the difference is that the cars are much bigger. Mm-hmm. They are much wider. They are much longer. They are much heavier. So there is some good things and bad things. So obviously safety has improved a lot. The engines are a lot more efficient because of the hybrid systems, you know, we used I think with the V10, they used to consume close to 300 liters during the race. And now it's maybe 120 or something like that, even less than half. And the power is quite similar, but uh, yeah, the cars are, are heavy. So in the slow speed corners, it, it doesn't doesn't feel as directional. You, you, you can't change your direction as you used to. And Monaco, the track feels very small for, for those cars, but <laughs> it, it has lots of downforce and lots of grips. So most of the lap records have improved, you know, in the last few years. But, uh, you know, obviously now the new cars with the, a lot of ground effect and the fact that they can follow each other a bit better, I think that's better for the sport. 
but it would be great to have smaller and lighter cars, to be honest. That would be amazing. So is there anything else apart from the cars being smaller that you would change about Formula One like now? I think the new rules are kind of good for for the sport in general. You know, the budget gap, the, the fact that the cars can follow each other better. That I, I do feel that's better. But yeah, the weight and the size of the cars, it would be good if it could be a bit smaller. And, you know, I would not be against refueling again, because obviously if you put refueling back, you can make the fuel tank a lot. So you can gain weight and gain gain size. So obviously we all know why Formula One doesn't have it anymore, but I, I, I thought that could be that could be kind of good. We heard about the unfortunate passing of Mr. Dietrich Mateschitz last week at the US Grand Prix. And as a member of the, the, the Red Bull family, did, did you know him well? Do you have any particularly fond memories of spending time with him? We know he's a very private man, but any stories about him? Yeah, I think the first time I met him was in Salzburg at the Hunger 7. We had a lunch with 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 him and, and, and Vettel. I think it was 2005 or six. That's the first time I, I really met him. And obviously... It, it was an amazing man, you know, what, what he has achieved. It's unprecedented, I would say. And and obviously, the day I signed my Formula One contract in December 2008 was with him in, in his office in, 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 in Fushal. That's where the headquarter is. And yeah, that was, you know, the best day of my life back then. So I really, you know, I'm really thankful to, to Red Bull and, and him for, for giving me the opportunity to, to have a, a career, you know, because without Red Bull, I, I wouldn't be where, where I am today. So I think it's a case for most drivers. I mean, mm. I don't know how many on the grid. I think it's uh, seven on I the current of, grid. <laughs> yeah. So it's, 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 it's amazing. And uh, it's great to have people and brands like that, that give the opportunity to, to young drivers, obviously. For sure. One final question then, Formula One, because you have a much wider career in motorsport that we're really keen to chat about. But obviously, a lot of people are going to remember that insanely dramatic accident in China during practice when both of the wheels blew off the front of your car. Now, for anyone who doesn't remember this, just Google Sebastian Buemi China. You'll see what I mean. But we've seen big accidents in Formula One, even as recently as Fernando Alonso trying to take off into the sky on Sunday in Texas. Tell us what's going through your head in that moment, if you remember it, and how hard or easy was it to just hop straight back into the car and get into Q2 in the Tarasso in the next session? Yes, somehow nothing happened. So in the end, what what happened on the car? We replaced those parts and it was fine. Maybe the first couple of laps breaking down the straights, I was a bit concerned, but then you get back to it, you know, in, 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 as a racing driver, obviously it's happened and you have to be, to be back at it as quickly as possible. So somehow, honestly, I, I didn't have any, an issue with it. It's true that the feeling right after was a bit concerning for a couple of laps, but it, it went the way and I was back fully focused. Good stuff. It, I th- it's very, very hard for, I think, uh, non-racing drivers to comprehend having an accident like that and then immediately going out and doing exactly the same thing. Huge credit for that. So want to move, move on from Formula One, obviously, because you're one of few drivers to have just profound success in the world of motorsport in several other series. So just a quick kind of crib sheet. Since F1, as you mentioned at the start, you've won the World Endurance Championship three times, hopefully on course for a fourth. You've won Le Mans four times, with all with Toyota, and you became Formula E World Champion in the 2015-16 season. That is quite a resume post F1. So Sticking with Weckon the Mom for a few minutes, what is it about endurance racing that maybe suits you a bit more? How different are the cars to drive to Formula One cars? 
Yeah, yeah. The first time I drove the Toyota because obviously I was lucky enough to stay with the same team over the the last eleven seasons now. I would say. Yeah, the fact that you have a roof and that you don't see your wheels—that's kind of different. The fact that the car is a bit heavier—it's also a bit different. But obviously, I enjoyed very much the the years where we had the LMP1 cars because they did feel like Formula One cars just with the roof. They were really far, as I said, a bit heavier, but they were. In qualifying mode, they were not far from race laps of 2014, 2015 F1 cars, you know, in terms of lap time. And obviously driving in tracks like Spa and Le Mans was was extremely nice. But, uh, you know, I like the fact of sharing the car, trying to improve the, the car, making it good reliability, you know, for a 24-hour race. It's always pretty impressive to know that we do over 5,500 kilometers in, in Le Mans over the course of 24 hours. And, you know, including this year, we had no issue, never stopped the car, never, never had anything, just had refueling and tires. And I, f- I find it pretty impressive, obviously, to, to think that this is possible. But I, I do enjoy, obviously, uh, racing on those amazing and sharing the car with, uh, with my teammates. Yeah, and that's really impressive that you can just hop from different cars in different series because obviously they're all so different. Do you have a greatest win that you can think of in endurance that was your favorite just to look back on? Yeah, I guess obviously every time you you win a race, it's always amazing. But maybe the first Le Mans in 2018, because, uh, you know, it, it's a long time coming. I came very close in 2016 when we had to retire in the last lap while leading the race. Uh, so we had done it for at least six or seven times before with the team. Came very close to it in 2014, obviously even closer in 2016. So winning it finally on the 20, 2018 was an amazing feeling. Those, those longer races, I think what a lot of people don't really, I suppose, appreciate is maybe the mental challenge of a 24-hour race. I, I think a lot of us would remember when Top Gear attempted to do the 24 hours of Silverstone years and years ago, and there were shots of them just sleeping on the garage floor and peeing in the car seat while they were out on track. So it's very, very different. And I won't ask about the peeing in the car seat, but what do you do during the long 12 or 24 hour race, especially to keep sharp and well rested and ready to hop in the car at any moment over such a long period of time? I'd say we are well, well organized and we do lots of those endurance tests before from January to June. We do three, four, five, six of those endurances and we go for 36 hours mainly. (laughs) So we go for longer than 24 and the day you get to Le Mans, it, I wouldn't say it feels easy, but you don't feel tired. Why? Because you've been practicing a lot and then it's the biggest race of the year. So with the adrenaline, you don't really feel tired. The only thing is, yeah, to obviously eat at the right time, try to rest, focus on your stuff. But we've done it over and over and over again. So the pit stop practice, the pit stop we do, the practice, everything it feels kind of natural. So I, I just try to replicate a test we normally do on the track like Paul Ricard or Aragon. And we often speak to each other with the driver. It's just a double stint like in Paul Ricard, you know, it's just a double stint like in Paul Ricard. So somehow it feels kind of natural and I don't, you know, I don't do anything special. I just try to rest, look at my data, stay in my room and maybe spare the energy throughout the week. You know, I don't go for... I don't stay all the time in a garage. I don't go too much to the fans. I just try to focus on myself and save energy for, for the big day. Very good. And that actually kind of answers part of what my next question is going to be is obviously the, the last race of the WEC season is coming up in a couple of weeks. It's the eight hours of Bahrain. And at the moment, you're level on points with, with the Alpine cars, which is a bit mad to think over the course of such a long season and such varying points for different races. They have better results, but you've won in more, I suppose, points awarding races like the Mount. So 
going in level on points. Can you beat them? Can you claim the title for a fourth time? Yeah, I, I hope we will because obviously that's the objective. Um, we obviously had to retire the car in, in Spa and we scored zero points. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's really bad, especially when you have only six races next year. The championship goes back to seven, but with six races, it's ex- extremely hard, obviously, to recover a DNF. So we've been we've been pushing hard on on trying to catch them back. Obviously, we won the more, we won Fuji, and, and yeah, we 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 will do everything we can to finish ahead of them. We are quite well prepared. I'll be in the simulator next week to prepare Bahrain, and then obviously next week and the following week I go I'll go there. But we just try to to go into the race like any other race, basically nothing special. We try to stick to the job. Very good. Well, we will all be rooting you on on that race. So very best of luck with it. Moving on then to your Formula E career. And it's incredible that you're just doing all of these series all at once, jumping in from an F1 simulator to an FE car to an endurance car. You've been in Formula E, as you said, since the inaugural season in 2014. So was this something you were interested in, I suppose, a concept like electric racing cars from the very beginning? To be honest, no. I heard of the championship and I knew Jean-Paul Drio as well. We met at the FIA ceremony in Paris and I congratulated him on the fact that he was going to enter the championship and he got the license. And then he directly said, yeah, but you should be driving for me. And I said, I don't know if I can, you know, with, with Formula One as a reserve and with, uh, with WEC and it was actually possible. So I, I had no real expectations, but then I, I fell in love with the, with the championship. I was so impressed in Beijing for the first race, what Formula E managed to put together. And obviously, since then, you know, I've been competing there and, and, and trying to, to achieve good results. So it's very exciting time for me, you know, to be changing teams now after eight seasons with the same team. So, you know, really happy and proud to join Envision. They've been tough competitors for the last few, few years. So you came second in the first ever season of Formula E, and then you actually won the next season after a really close competition with Lucas Degrassi. What was it like to finally win after such a close competition racing with him? Yeah, it, it, it was a relief because clearly the first year I lost the championship for one point and we had a big procedure mistake in, 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 in Moscow. We had a race there and I basically lost 20 points or 18 points back then. So basically we lost the championship there by getting disqualified and we had an unsafe release basically. We stayed too long in the box, you know, we had to swap cars. So yeah, I, I had lost the championship for stake like that so the following year I think I won it for one or two points so that was yeah a relief actually to win it and then the third season I finished second to Lucas because I had to miss two races for for a clash with with the WEC and then in season five I think I finished second as well to to Jeff so yeah basically it was a relief at least to to win it once but I I feel like I yeah I feel like with a tiny bit more luck or I could have won it three three times, but you know this is the way it is, and we move forward and we try to get better. So, do you have any regrets missing any of those races and the you know the potential of winning a second season? Yeah, yeah, I have honestly I have regrets because obviously in my contract I had the priority to work back then, and I think I did a hundred meters in Nurburgring and I had the technical issue in the work, oh, no. <laughs> and so I finished second in the championship in work back then. And I finished second in Formula E. And the problem was that it was New York and it was a double header. So I, I, I lost two races. And back then we had only 11 races so, or 12 races. So missing two was actually really hard. And it's a shame because that year I won six races out of the 12. So 
you know, I feel like I, I deserved a bit better that year, but obviously there were contracts in place and yeah, not much I could, could have done different. Yeah, well, you know, everyone has a couple of regrets. I know, you know, you look at the, the, the careers of some other drivers as well. <laughs> I think immediately of Fernando Alonso, who I think we all think about, who maybe should have a few more Formula One World Championships if things had gone just a tiny bit different for him. Sometimes things completely out of his control, like an unsafe release, unfortunately. Moving on then, you mentioned that you're moving team for next season, having been with Renault since the beginning. So what are your expectations for, for next year and for the new team, the change of environment? What, what are you hoping to achieve? It's always a bit scary in the first place to be changing team when you've been with the same guys for such a long period. But somehow it feels like I know those guys at Envish fighting them since season one. So I kind of know most of them and I'm happy to be joining them because it's going to be a new era in Formula E with the gen as well. So it's going to be totally different. We will have a Jaguar powertrain. So we are working very closely with them to try to, to get the best possible car, you know, and very close to Sam and Mitch and obviously Nick, my teammate. So we're trying just to, to, to produce the best possible car. And, you know, I have lots of respect for Envision, so I'm happy to be with them. And yeah, the idea is to be able to fight at the front from the, the first race onward. And what are your thoughts about the Gen 3 car so far? I've been driving the car for a few days now, I think three. It's, it's very powerful. It's a lot faster on the straight, which on the small tracks would be pretty impressive, you know, because it's something like 20 to 40 kph faster on the straight. So it's a big, it's a big step. Um, it's a very efficient car because uh, you regenerate uh, energy while you brake on the front axle, not only the rear axle. And uh, we might have fast charging, you know, during pit stops or the pit stop might come back into play. And it's different looking car, you know, so I can't wait to sit on TV and see how it looks like. Is there anything you would change about Formula E? I know recently they've decided to scrap the uh, fan boost. Is that something that you wanted? Well, I didn't really mind, to be honest. Somehow, I feel like it's been in discussion for a long time. So now it happened, We'll, I guess we'll see. But I always kind of found it difficult, you know, to, to ask again the fans and every week in and out to ask them to vote, you know, at some point. Maybe I think it was a great idea, to be honest. So now we have obviously the attack mode. And, you know, I, I trust the process. I trust Formula E to come up with the best possible regulations. There you go. Well, again, we will be rooting for you to have success with a new team for the new season and get another championship under your belt. Because like you said, I think you more than deserve more than one. Um, are there any other series you'd like to compete in? You've ticked off a, a good few at the moment, but is there anything else that kind of catches your eye? Like I'd really like to give that one a go at some time. Right now, no, not, not, not really. I mean, for sure, I'd love to drive an IndyCar. I'd love to drive a rally car. But obviously, realistically speaking, I'm committed on the long term with my current teams. I'm enjoying what I'm you know, I have kids at home, so I can't just go to the US like that. So I'm basically happy with, with what I have. But one day for sure, I'd love to drive those, the other cars I've just said. But realistically, realistically speaking, it's not really doable right now. So I'm happy mm. to stick with what I do. Fair enough. And the last final two questions. What do you think of the current flock of Formula One drivers, particularly Max and Checo? Well, I think they are doing a great job. Obviously, Max is is amazing right now. He's a really a special driver, I have to say. I've seen many but uh, I think it's, it's pretty special. And, uh, you know, I think he, it's just a start for him. And, and obviously, Checo has had some amazing races this year with Monaco, Baku. And, uh, obviously, Singapore is done very well. So uh, hopefully he can, he can finish second in the championship. That would be, you know, it would conclude an amazing year for Red Bull. Are you wanting him to win at his home race this weekend? Yeah, on one hand, I'd like Max, obviously, to get the record of wins in, in one season. But I... Uh, 
obviously I'd love to see what happens if Checo ends up winning the Mexican Grand Prix. That would be pretty amazing as well. And last question, what advice would you give to racing drivers who are looking to become professionals? Yeah, I think it's important, obviously, to to, to have trust in, in yourself, to chase your dreams. And it's a long road, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a hard sport. It's it's very complex. Why? Because it's not only you, it's the car, it's the backing, it's sponsors. It's lots of things you need to be co- co- competitive and to get an opportunity to fight at the front. So it it requires full full dedication, I'd say. Well, on that motivational note, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so very, very, very much for joining us. This has been such a huge pleasure. We are, of course, the Everything F1 podcast. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you're listening. Check us out on all socials at JoinEF1 and check out our website, everythingf1.com, for more news and articles. Once again, I have been Sean, joined by Emma. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. And one big final thank you to our special guest, Sebastian Buemi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. We will be back early next week with a review of the Mexican Grand Prix. Thanks very much and goodbye.